This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and uh, chapter 4 is where we need to be, Revelation chapter 4. And just reading the first, uh, first two verses only. And after these things I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. You and I in this generation are standing on the precipice of some of the most monumental world-shaking, world-shaping events that are about to take place. The book of Revelation gives us a blow-by-blow account of all that will be taking place before and during and after Christ's second coming. Our redemption is drawing nigh. Christ's soon coming, of course, is the subject which is of great prominence in Scripture, either by prophecy or by proclamation or by promise. It is mentioned some 700 times. When the Holy Spirit records something 700 times, you can be sure it's a big issue in heaven, and it should be a big issue on earth as well. So the question is not if Jesus will come again, it is when and how. And it is the when and the how that has caused, probably more than anything else, much hope, much fear much controversy, much debate, and much passion. The imminency of Christ's return, the fact that He is coming, and it will be sudden, it will be unexpected, it will be unannounced, is a challenge for every born-again believer to live in the light of it. Now, in the past, we have took a long time uh, to go through the whole book of Revelation, all 22 chapters, verse by verse. And I do not, you'd be glad to hear, intend to do that this morning. Uh, however, I, I have deliberately chosen this opening text to draw your attention to what I believe are the next two outstanding events in the life of a believer, whether dead or alive. And that's why I've entitled this message, Wanted, Dead or Alive. God wants you, dead or alive. Now let me state right away, as far as my stance on the book of Revelation is concerned, I am unapologetically a futurist. 
Now, that means to say that I believe that most of it is still future. Now, you may disagree with that, and you're perfectly entitled to do that. Now, you may be a historicist. A historicist is someone who views, believes that revelation are symbolic descriptions of historical events throughout the church history. Or you may be a preterist, someone who believes basically that the book of Revelation was fulfilled primarily in the first century. Or you may be a futurist like myself, who believes that it's primarily about the future end of this world as we know it. Or you may be an idealist. An idealist is someone who sees Revelation as non-historical, non-prophetic drama about spiritual realities, and everything in it is either spiritualized or allegorized rather than literal. And you could be in any one of those camps or one that I don't even know about. That's why this book causes a lot of controversy. However, in 35 years of studying it and reading dozens and dozens of commentaries on it, I have firm convictions and beliefs, and uh, I have not changed my mind in all of these years. Now, to show you that God wants you either dead or alive, I have chosen two events. Uh, But let me refer to the opening text that we read together. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts with Christ opening a door in heaven. And John immediately being taken up into heaven and shown things that must be hereafter. So everything from the point that I have read, I believe, as a futurist stance on this, is in the future. In Revelation 1.19 that we didn't read, if I can just read it for you, you see the three divisions in the book of Revelation. Write the things which you have seen. That's past That's Christ in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. It's a beautiful passage. The things which are, that's present, that's the present church age. John was in the early part of it, we're in the latter part of it. And it's lasted a long time, it's now over 2,000 years. And then the things which will take place after this, that's future. That's after the church age on earth. Just to give you a little quick synopsis, Revelation 1 is the vision of Christ as the Lord of the church, standing with eyes as flaming fire, feet like burnished brass, with a golden girdle, with a sharp sword going from his mouth. It's a mighty vision of Christ, the ascended, risen, glorified Jesus Christ. It's a powerful image of Jesus that you don't get anywhere else. It's a wonderful thing. Chapters 2 and 3 describes Christ in the midst of the seven churches. That's a whole study on its own, and it's wonderful. And they were literal churches in Asia Minor, seven of them. And what he had to say to each of them in turn, sometimes he said the same thing, but he had something specific for each one of them. Mostly was rebukes, but some was commendation. And then chapters 4 and 5, the church in heaven, what's going to be happening then, why there's a lot of other things happening on the earth. And then chapters 6 through to chapters 19, verse 11, is the tribulation period. Is that 
seven-year period of unparalleled tribulation upon the face of the earth, the like of which this world has never seen. And we think things are bad now. I remember one time years ago in America, we were driving somewhere, and there was a, a car in front of us, and it had a bumper sticker on it. And it said, if you think things are bad now, wait till the tribulation. <laughs> and things are going to be really, really awful. And uh, that's when Antichrist rules. That's the time of Jacob's trouble, the Bible says. That's Daniel's 70th week, according to the vision that Daniel had. And then from chapters 19 11 on the way through to chapter 21 is the, the literal second coming of Christ where he physically comes to this earth again. And then chapter 20 to 21 is the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ. And then chapter 22 is the eternal and the final state. So that's just a little synopsis. In chapter 3, it ends with a door closed on earth. The Laodicean church, where Jesus is standing knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. But they didn't open the door. The door was firmly shut in the face of Christ. But then chapter 4, there's a door open in heaven. So between that door shut on earth and that door open in heaven, too many things are going to take place. And that's what I want to share with you today. These two events, by the way, will be the catalyst for that seven-year tribulation and great tribulation period. What are the two events then? The two events are simply this. The first resurrection or the resurrection of the just and the rapture. You say, well, David, a lot of people doesn't believe in the rapture. That's true. Some of my dear pastor friends, and I mean dear pastor friends, do not believe in the rapture. It's one of those teachings that People sometimes go with it, sometimes they go against it. But as I said, in 35 years, I see no reason to change my mind on it. I firmly believe that it is going to happen. In fact, one time I read over 30 commentators and commentaries and books about it, and there was only one actually disagreed that there was going to be a rapture. I'll, I'll give you scripture in a moment or two anyway as we come to this. But you're perfectly entitled not to believe in it if you so desire, but... I certainly do, and I believe there's plenty of Scripture for that, as we'll touch on a little bit later. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Apostle Paul writing, now isn't it interesting? 1 Thessalonians is the 13th book in the New Testament, but it was the first book written in the New Testament. Even though it's placed 13th in our Bible, but it actually was the first book written in the New Testament. And isn't it interesting that Paul writes about last things first? So it was a big, big issue with Paul. And it's an issue with this church in Thessalonica. The reason being is that He's preaching about the second coming of Christ. It's imminent. It's just about to happen. You say, well, He didn't get that right i tell you what he did get right. You live in the light that it's just about to happen because you don't know when it's going to happen. And if Paul thought it was imminent then, how much more is it imminent now? 
And if he said we should live a certain way in the light of it, then how much more should we live that way now? So, the Thessalon church in Thessalonica, the believers were concerned. Well, what about the believers who have died? What's going to happen to them if the Lord's just about to return? We want to know. So he writes in verse 13 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Isn't that a lovely term that the Bible used in the New Testament for believers who die? They fall asleep. Remember Jesus said about Lazarus, I will go and awaken him. But he's, he's not sleeping. Yes, I know he's dead, but I will go and awaken him. It's as if he's sleeping. And I think it's a lovely term that the New Testament uses for the believer. Don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Christ's coming is meant to be a thing of comfort for the church. Why do we not preach on it as much as we should? We talk about everything else to bring comfort to the saints. What about the second coming of Christ? Paul preached it to bring comfort to believers. Now, as we continue with that, First Corinthians chapter 15. I'll come back to the rapture in a moment. We're dealing with the first resurrection now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great resurrection chapter, of course. And down there in verse 50, Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But I tell you a mystery. A mystery is something that was hidden before that is now revealed here. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. That's a wonderful statement, and that should give us hope. Then he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Now, as you can imagine, like every other preacher, 
I, I have, in every person I've ever buried, I have quoted that verse. But technically, even though it's true and it brings comfort, but technically, there's still a sting to death. Anyone who has lost a loved one has felt the sting of death. You would not be human if you didn't. Sure you wouldn't. But there's going to come a day when there'll be absolutely no sting in death, no victory in the grave, because there will be no death and there will be no grave. In fact, if Adam had not ascended, there never would have been a graveyard. There never would have been a prison. There would never have been a hospital. But sin brought death and everything that came with it. But there's going to come a day when there will be no more and no more tears and no more sadness, no more sickness, no more death, no more grave. And that day is coming. Thank God it's coming. First Corinthians 15 again there where we were reading. Let me just read from verse 15. Let me go a little bit further and read from verse 20. Now Christ has risen from the dead, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead, or of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Now I want you to notice something here. Christ has risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Then it says, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Now the word order there is tagma. It's a military term that Paul uses, and it means company or troop or group. So that tells us something about the first resurrection. By the way, because oftentimes Christians get mixed up on this, there is no one general resurrection. There are two resurrections. The resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. The resurrection of the saved, the resurrection of the unsaved. And there's over a thousand years between those two resurrections. So there's no just one general resurrection. And in fact, the first resurrection, the resurrection of the just, takes place in phases in companies, by troops, Christ being the first fruits. Are you still with me? All right, so put your thinking hat on just a little bit here, first of all. Now let me expand this a little bit further. Of course, Israel was an agricultural land, and there was lots of harvests. And during the harvest periods, which would cover several months, God instituted seven different feasts. And these tied in and coincided with the harvest times. There was the grain harvest, there was the grape harvest, and there was olive harvest. 
And these seven feasts were both a practical thing for them to do, and also they could look back on some of their history of where they came from and look forward to the future. So not only was it practical, but it was prophetical as well. And also says something about Christ and our part in Christ. Uh, the seven feasts are the Passover. We know the Passover speaks of the death of Christ. Uh, a, a, a lamb had to be slain. We know the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've heard about that. In fact, we taught in this many years ago. It's the Feast of Separation, which can speak of the burial of Christ. The Feast of Firstfruits speaks of the resurrection, which we're going to talk about here in a moment. The Feast of Pentecost speaks of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that on the day of Pentecost, on that great feast day, there was such a harvest of precious souls come into the kingdom. And then the Feast of Trumpets, which I believe also speaks of the rapture, when the trumpet sounds. And then the Feast of Atonement, the repentance of Israel, and the Feast of Tabernacles, there's the millennium. Now, during the Feast of First Fruits, something happened which relates to what I'm teaching about the first resurrection. The priest would go out when the grain was sown and the sprouts were starting to come up through the soil. The priest would go out of the village of the town with everybody behind him and he would take three hoops. And he would place a hoop in this field over those little shoots that was growing and then he'd go to the next field, place the second hoop, and then the third field, and place the third hoop. Then when the harvest was about to be come in, just before the harvest was harvested, he would go out again with all the townspeople behind him, and he'd have a sickle in his hand. And he would go into the first field, and now, of course, those shoots had grown up, the corn had grown up right through the hoops, and he would cut out that hoop. He'd go to the next field, he'd cut out that hoop, the third field, he'd cut out that hoop, and he'd place the three sheaves together, he would tie them together, and then he would wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. And by doing that, he's saying to the whole congregation of Israel, all the harvest belongs to God. But he's given it to us. So signifying our thanksgiving unto him for the harvest, we're going to take this as a token, and we're going to wave it before him as a token of our thanksgiving unto God. It was a wave offering. The first company, the first hoop, the first fruits. The Bible says that Christ is the first fruits. Look at Matthew chapter 27 just for a second. Matthew chapter 27. This is speaking of when Christ was on the cross and he's literally just about to die. In verse 50 of Matthew 27, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, 
they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And the graves were opened and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Who are the saints here? Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints were those who by faith believed God, looked forward to God sending His Messiah, His Anointed One, His Christ, and it was accounted unto them for righteousness. We as New Testament saints look back to Messiah, the Anointed One, to Christ, and to the cross where the price is paid. You still with me? These are the first fruits. Christ, the first fruits. Then, after his resurrection, those who had come out of the graves went into the holy city and they appeared to many. There's the first company. But what about the harvest proper? This happens at the rapture. This happens just that split second before the rapture. The dead in Christ will rise first. Every believer from Christ's resurrection, Pentecost, all the way through to just this week, all the way through to today, to us living now, the believers will be resurrected. The harvest proper. What a harvest that's going to be. By many of us has laid loved ones in the ground. We know their spirit and soul is in the glory. But the body has crumbled to dust. But one day, God will raise them. From the ground, from the sea, from the desert, from the snowy mountains, wherever they are, God will raise them. They'll hear the trumpet. They'll hear the shout. And they'll rise. Isn't it also interesting that the times that Jesus shouted with a loud voice, there was a resurrection. At the grave of Lazarus, even on the cross, And they will hear, and they will rise. What a moment that's going to be. But then there's a third hoop. There's a third trip. And the harvest, when the harvest was brought in, what was left was called the gleanings. The grains that would fall that they weren't allowed to pick up. That was left for the poor and for the stranger and for the wayfarer. Remember Ruth and Boaz, the story of Ruth and Boaz, how that she came as a Moabite, daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi sent her out into the field of Boaz and how that she walked down those rills and picked up the gleanings to feed her and the family. The gleanings, so that not one grain was lost. In the resurrection, who are the gleanings? Well, 
Revelation 20 tells us. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I also saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Now, isn't that, isn't that fascinating? You know, I was reading this recently. And, and even whenever he preached on it a few years ago, I wasn't really thinking of this. But think of the beheadings that are going on today. You know, in, in periods of history, you get this. In the French Revolution, the, the, the guillotine, and even during the last war, and the, the Japanese, the POWs, many of them were beheaded. And now we've got these IS jihadists who are beheading people. So it's coming into vogue again. It really will be in vogue during the period of the Antichrist, during that seven-year tribulation period. You say, well, I thought all the believers, you're going to tell me he's going up in the rapture. That's true. But what about those who are left? What about those who are left behind who know who's been witnessed to, who know the truth. And it dawns on them that the Bible was right all along. That that next door neighbor who always shared with me the gospel was right all along. That that man or woman I work with were right all along. What's going to happen to them? Well, we'll trust that they'll come to Christ. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists. There's going to be the two witnesses. There's going to be opportunity for them to come to Christ. But it's going to cost them. Christians today, if you were living somewhere in Syria and you announced you were a Christian, you probably would lose your head right now, today. So don't think these things can't happen. This is fantasy. On a small scale, it's happening right now. But look what it says. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been headed for the witness to Jesus for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's where the word millennium comes from. The word millennium is not in the Bible. You know that. It's, it's Latin. It's milli annum, milli 1,000 annum year. 1,000 year reign of Christ. The word rapture is not in the Bible either. We know that. But it's implied in lots of places. In fact, that term caught up is where we get the word rapture from. It's a word that's translated into Latin to mean rapture. But anyway. So they lived and reigned with Christ for a 1,000 years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the 1,000 years were finished. This is the first resurrection. That's the first time that term first resurrection is mentioned in Scripture. This is the first. In other words, that's the completion of the first resurrection. Christ the first fruits, those who come out of their graves at his resurrection. Then those, if the Lord doesn't come and we die, then we'll be resurrected. And then the martyrs, the cleanings. What about the rapture, David? Is that a scary thought for you? Or is that a comforting thought? 1 Corinthians 15 again.
Now this I say, verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But I, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, in a moment, Atomos is where we get the word atom from. In an atom of time. We would say today, in a nanosecond. How fast can you wink? Pretty fast, isn't it? A twinkle's even faster. For this is even faster than a twinkle. This is in a nanosecond of time. God is God. He can do anything, can't he? First Thessalonians chapter 4. We already read this this morning, but in light of the rapture, let's read it. Verse 15, Now this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord and the, in the air. Thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's not much comfort to think you're going to go through the tribulation. Huh? Does that bring you much comfort? But people accuse you of being an escape artist. You just want to escape. No, I didn't write this. Paul says this is to comfort us. To be caught up together with them. You know, Jesus standing in the Mount of Olives the disciples standing there, and suddenly he began to rise. And it up and up and up, and he disappeared out of the sight. You men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing up? Philip, with the Ethiopian eunuch, after he was baptized, suddenly he disappeared. Where did he go to? How did he do that? <coughs> Enoch, out walking with the Lord, and suddenly he just walked right into the presence of God. So this is not just something new. Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. So we see it both in the Old and New Testament. The only difference is, is the scale of this and the speed of this. Suddenly, in an atom of time, will be gone. What a powerful thing. You say, David, would that not cause consternation around the world that billions of people would go missing? Maybe by that time they're wishing we weren't around. 
It's very unpopular to be a Christian today. Haven't you noticed that? It's going to become more unpopular. We get the blame of everything, don't we? We're spoil sports, we're killjoys, we're intolerant, we're Bible thumpers. But there's going to come a day, and that day's coming very soon, when we'll be gone in a moment. That's why we have to hold loosely to stuff. Because we'll be gone from it. Whether we die or whether we go up, we'll be gone from it all. Not one thing can we take with us. Nothing. So God blesses us. We use it. We hold loosely to it because it's not going with us. <laughs> no suitcases allowed. These two events, there is nothing that I can see holding them back other than the will of the Lord. Nothing. I can't see anything more to be fulfilled. The only thing possibly, and it's fast approaching, that this gospel must be preached to all the world, then will the end come. Thank God for missions. Thank God for people who go out and shed the gospel, share the gospel to the ends of the earth because that will hasten the day and the hour. Evangelism and explosion, which has been going for many, many years, they claim, they claim that they have a witness in every country on earth. But what about every dialect? What about every tribe? What about every kindred and every tongue? So there's a wee bit of work to do yet, but it's very, very, very close. Let me just read this in closing. I don't know, oh, it's Marcel Price is the name. I don't know who she is, but she wrote this many, many years ago. So when you're going on your holidays, there's certain things you have to do, isn't there? You've got to get your passport ready. You've got to pack your case. You've got to do all these things, get your jobs and all the rest of it. So she wrote this. Vaccination and inoculation. Injections are not needed as diseases are unknown at the destination. Then she gives the scripture. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Revelation 2.14. Currency. Supplies of currency may be forwarded ahead to wait the passengers' arrival. Deposits should be as large as possible. <laughs> Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and stay in Matthew 6.20. Clothing. A complete and appropriate new wardrobe is provided for each traveler. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. Isaiah 60.10. Time changes. Resetting of watches will not be necessary to adjust to any day-night schedule. The city has no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. There shall be no night there. Reservations. Booking is now open. Apply at once. Now is the accepted time. Behold the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Coronation ceremony. The highlight of the journey is welcoming reception and coronation which await each new believer. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, 
but all to them who love his appearance. I'm not finished yet. Listen, that just reminds me of something. Bob, Northley's sitting there. Bob, just in case people doesn't know you, just stand a wee second, let people have a look at you. Right, that's Johnny's dad there. He's written an excellent little booklet based on the book of Revelation and other scriptures, plus sanctified imagination too. And it's a story about a young man who dies and he goes to heaven and it's his journey in heaven. It's a fascinating little book. You can get it on Kindle, can't you? On Amazon, you can get it. You can download it. Well, it's 150 or something like that. It's, it's nothing. And it's a great read, so it is. So that's a wee plug for Johnny's data, all right? So if you're wondering how to get that, talk to him about it. Accommodation. Arrangements for first-class accommodation have been made in advance. That's good to know, isn't it? In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Passports. Persons seeking entry will not be permitted past the gates without having proper credentials and having their names registered with the ruling authority. There shall no wise enter in anything that defileth but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Departure times. The exact date of departure has not been announced. Travelers are advised to be prepared to leave at short notice. <laughs> it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Tickets. Your ticket is a written pledge that guarantees your journey. It should be claimed and its promises kept firmly in hand. He that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Customs. Only one declaration is required while going through customs. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Immigration. All passengers are classified as immigrants since they're taking up permanent residence in a new country. The quota is unlimited for they desire a better country that is a heavenly that he has prepared for them a city. Luggage. No luggage whatsoever can be taken. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Finally, air passage. Travelers going directly by air are advised to watch daily for indications of imminent departure. <laughs> ah, I love that. We are, which we are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Amen. I really am looking forward to that. That's going to be something. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that there is a glorious future ahead for the believer. Lord, however we get there and whenever we get there, it's going to be absolutely wonderful. What a joy it will be to be in your presence, the presence of the King of Kings. What a delight it will be to be reunited with precious loved ones who have known Christ as their Savior. What a thrill it would be, Lord, to leave this old earth behind and to go into that heavenly place. So we thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have given. We thank you, Lord, that they're real. They're factual. We can stand on them. You do not lie. Your word is truth. Lord, the world may laugh at us. They may have their fun at our expense. But one day, there'll be no laughing on this earth. 
And one day we'll have such joy and peace and laughter and happiness in that place where the roses never fade and will never grow old. So we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You will also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.